Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Checked Out. We had a short, kind of unintentional hiatus. Yes, uh, sure but we're did. back. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like the world of COVID. I think that sort of, you know, that's all you have to say. Yeah, every every so often <laughs> you're just gonna have an unexpected hiatus, and you just move past it and keep going. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you gotta do. Just is what it is at this point. Yes, <laughs> so. but I feel like we're on the uptick. So. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> as, as always, I am Alexa and I'm joined by Jennifer and yes. we're here to just chat about things that we have been enjoying recently, things that we're reading. Yep. Um, and given the state of the past couple of months, the media storm that was Bridgerton premiering oh. back in December, yes, um, we decided that we were going to chat romance today. Yes, I'm excited. So after having a sort of a quick conversation with Alexa over the phone we started talking and I said you know I started thinking about it after we talked and I thought you know who should talk Regency Alexa and I think that you <laughs> should teach I, I'm not this is all new to me I don't read a lot of romance but I started reading the first I started listening to the first book and just totally loved it then I started watching the show and then got totally hooked and then the, the so I feel like there's so much more great Regency reads out there and so and I had some questions because I don't really know what deems are Regency is it the period mm-hmm. or is there other things that has to go into it so we're going to discuss it yes and I think that this is probably the case for a lot of people right now I feel like Bridgerton was really a good entry point for a lot of folks mm, yes. who maybe didn't think that they were interested in romance and then they saw Shonda Rhimes interpretation of <laughs> Regency and they were romance. like sign me up yeah and they were like okay <laughs> yeah maybe I could get into this um and and it really is Bridgerton I watched through the entire show twice um, with my husband, he loved it. Um, he read. <laughs> he immediately requested that I purchase the Duke and I so that he could read it. Uh, he <laughs> really it. enjoyed it. So yeah, I think that it, it's it's just good. I mean, and it is such a good adaption of a romance novel. I'm sure. Yes. You, like when you watch Bridgerton, I mean, obviously there are changes, but I think that the the feel of the romance novel and the the plot conflicts, the characters, I think all of that was really retained. Yes. Really well in the in the show adaption. Yeah. No. Um, listening to the first book, I can say yeah. I felt like it was right on par. Yeah. Of what we should. What was happening in the story? They 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 changed a lot, but they kept a lot of like the really just basic plot elements. Well, very very yeah. much the same. Yeah. So and what I think is great about the show, for one, the costumes. I just love the costumes. Oh my gosh, phenomenal. I mean, they don't fit what you think. Actually, what a region. It's kind of the structure of Regency, but it's got a whole bunch of other things on top. Uh, Yeah. Which I think is really fun. It's definitely not entirely historically accurate. Right. But if you have concerns, and I know a lot of people who read historical romances are very concerned about historical accuracy. Like if if the dialogue isn't quite right, or I was reading a, a historical romance novel recently, and one of the characters actually used the phrase baby bump. And I was like, oh, man, that is not no. accurate. <laughs> I don't think anyone in, no. his, in Regency England, Victorian England, like any of that was saying baby bump. But it was fun. I don't really care so much about historical right. accuracy. So I I just take it for <laughs> what it is. I have a fun time reading them and watching them. So it is uh, what it is. 
But okay, so you said you're not sure what constitutes a regency. Yeah. So it is time period. Okay. So cool. that is regency romance are a subgenre of the romance novels. Okay. And they are set during the period of the British Regency. And that is basi- basically British periods are dictated by who was ruling at that time. Right, right. And so the British Regency is set primarily during its 1811 to 1820 is a very small time frame. It's not a huge time. No. So yeah, it's it's very small. And I was actually going through, I was just like, and it's very common for people to categorize most British historical romance novels at like, you just say, oh, it's a Regency romance, even though it not technically be set during then. Right. Not all of them have dates. You just kind of pick up on, like a lot of romance novels will have like, this is set in like, England, 1813, at the beginning right, of the chapter, right. and you're like, okay, got it. Not all of them have that, so you right. kind of have to go on context clues when it's set. I would think that the Edwardian period is probably like a big, another period where there's probably a lot of romances, maybe? Or am I thinking like Edith Wharton and people like that? Yeah, I I don't read a lot of that. I think that probably the stuff that's mostly getting published would be Regency and Victorian. Victorian, okay. Victorian is the other big one. If you're reading a romance novel, you're not entirely sure which period it is set in. There's a really easy way to tell the two apart. If you are reading a Victorian set novel, you're going to see a lot more talk of industry and factories and trains. Oh, that makes sense. Um, Victorian came right after the Regency period. Regency is much more agrarian. You're going to see a lot of talk of farming and towns and villages and carriages and stuff like that. Right. And then once you get into the Victorian period, it's going to be a lot more industrialized. Right. More, we're living in London and we, we, yes. we whatever, yeah. Yeah. Okay. In, in Regencies, you're going to see people in London, but they're going to be like, Riding in a carriage around Mayfair and yeah. <laughs> right, and right. That whole stuff. So yeah, I re- I recently read a Victorian romance novel and the primary conflict was the heroine was wanting to um, save a building that she had been inherited from turning into a factory. Oh, okay. Um, and so, she yeah, wanted so to instead turn it into like a, a clubhouse for women to do like knitting and sewing and stuff like that. Of course, um, not like trying to get the vote or anything. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> Let's not get let's not get crazy, um, but that's a really easy, quick way to tell the difference in what's what time period your novel is set in. If Which it's is not a really been dated for you. Yeah, that's great. That's that's a good tip. <clears throat> Did a little research into Regency because obviously I'm sure I've read this before, but I just wanted to make sure I had yes. all my facts straight before I came on here. The Regency romance novel is all thanks to Georgette Heyer, oh. who wrote the over two dozen novels that were set in the Regency. And she started writing these in 1935. I recognize the name. Yes. And I hope I'm pronouncing that. I think it's, it's spelled H-E-Y-E-R. I believe you're pronouncing it right. I think it's higher. Um, and so uh, she wrote, like I said, two dozen novels set in the Regency until her death in 1974. She pretty much established historical romance as a genre single-handedly. Wow. And Regency romance. That's so, that's so cool. <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so her first Regency romance novel is called Regency Buck. And it was published in 1935. It was the first of her novels set during that period. And it is one of her few novels that combines the two genres for which she is known, which is Regency romance and the mystery novel. Ooh. So we're kind of right up right my alley. alley. <laughs> <laughs> the story, that story is set in 1811 through 1812. And another kind of fun fact about romance novels as a genre is the first bodice ripper, which is like when they started to get like a little bit sexier, like... Yeah. Regency Buck, not super, like, racy right. stuff. Um, very right. much just, like... So if you were thinking of these would be, like, these would be, like, the Harlequin romances that yeah. you would see where there was, like... Mm. Regency Buck is not Bridgerton. Yeah. 
You're then not you move up, and then you it. start actually having some words that maybe express certain things. Yeah, exactly. So um, the very first uh, modern bodice ripper that was published was by Kathleen E. Woodwiss, and it is called The Flame and the Flower. It was published in 1972. Gosh, um, that's so, a long time. <laughs> yes. So it took a really long time, and... The Flame and the Flower is definitely something that by today's standards would be considered extremely problematic. Oh boy. Any any romance novel that you read that is going to be set in from between like the 70s through like early 90s, I would say. <laughs> sexual assault highly highly common in those books. Yeah. Because you it was not considered like appropriate to have a woman Seeking out premarital sex, premarital right. relations. So the only way this is going to work is if someone tries to attack her. Or exactly. Whatever. So it was a way of removing the agency so that it could then happen. And gosh, that is <laughs> terrible when you think about it it's, that way. I know. Yes. So, <laughs> so yeah. It's if you go out and seek uh, the flame of the flower, be prepared. Be prepared. It is, <laughs> it is not going to be politically correct. There will be a lot of problematic aspects in it. You have to take it for what it was. It was published in 1972, and it was right. the first book of its kind. So it's going to look a lot different. That's, um, I mean, which is fascinating is if, if you... Did she... Do you know if she went on to write more of those books? Yes, but, she okay. did. Okay. Um, and they were all very much the same. <laughs> right. um, like I said, whenever I, I started reading romance novels at a very young age... I started reading V.C. Andrews at a very young age. So, oh my gosh, um, really? God, some, I think everyone read some of those. Everyone's probably read Flowers in the Attic at this point. It's it's fantastic. I feel if like you haven't a, read Flowers in the Attic, yes, you should. I feel like when you were growing up, they just handed you one of those yeah. books and said, "Read this one." Flowers in the Attic <laughs> is kind of one of those books that gets passed around, and it's like super weird and scandalous and gothic. And I wouldn't call it a romance novel. It's definitely more no, like a gothic family drama. It's like creepy. Yes. <laughs> but it's so creepy. It's great. Super fun book. Definitely should read The Flowers in the Attic because it's so weird. I love V.C. Andrews. Uh, but do you know the, my fun fact about V.C. Andrews? No. That she's only written like four or five books. V.C. Andrews passed away. Long time ago, a right? A long, long time ago. And there's like 200 books. Some, like, there's a ridiculous amount of V.C. Andrews Is it books. the same person? No, okay. They, I think it is. He, the, the family, it's a guy, right? The estate hired a ghostwriter right after she passed That's away. Right. I um, remember this. And yeah, he has ghostwritten every single other title, which I didn't realize until like a few years ago. I was just like, oh. So like literally The Flowers in the Attic is like the only book by, I actually rem- by V.C. Andrews that I've read. I have a vague memory of as being a kid and seeing her interviewed mm. on some program. Oh, really? She just seemed like your grandma, like just a yeah. like normal person. And I'm She's like, cool, man. And I'm thinking... You wrote that weird book. She thought like, of the you wrote that in the weird attic. Book. Oh man, it's great. <laughs> Which I'm like, ooh, okay. Yeah, and all all of the ghost written books I think follow a very similar premise. All the ones that I've read anyway, where right. it's just like a young girl, typically an orphan, typically with a foster family or an abusive uncle, or <laughs> some falls in love with a cousin, or there's always a forbidden aspect to them. Great, really, just like pulpy, like, like super ooh. fun stuff. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> love them. They're all products of the time. So if you're yes. reading, if you're reading any romance novel that's set like before the year 2000, probably going to be some pretty problematic stuff in there. You just got to take it for what it is. I mean, honestly, The Duke and I, which is the first book in the Bridgerton s- series published mm-hmm. by Julia Quinn, it was published in 2000, and there is a very problematic scene in that that people have been discussing to death yes. since that show came out. Yes. Um, it is an issue of consent. 
Simon is slightly inebriated, right. and there's a question of consent whenever he is uh, having relations with his wife, Daphne. So right. even even as recent, I mean, the book is like 20 years old at this point, so it's not super recent anymore. Right, right. But that just kind of goes to show that yeah. this is just, these are things that the genre as a whole tends to include. And I think that it's important to just recognize the long history of the genre and yeah which is a good point because yeah. i think what happens when you when you you start reading something that you sort of forget like oh wait yeah because maybe the cover is new right yeah they 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 republish these books over and over and they yeah. change the covers and they do all these things and you pick up a book and you think this is going to be something that was written like two years ago or a year ago mm-hmm. and you realize yeah all no original- this book is like 25 years old yeah exactly the story is not what you you know it's not pc right now you know romance novels don't look like they used they don't look like they don't have the step backs with fabio and the flash i miss those days on like the scottish highlands anymore i mean some of them do and they're really great um I, but. i'll give you a little story um so when I worked, I was going to UK. I was uh, I got to intern at the uh, art museum mm-hmm. on campus, and one of the shows that I got to actually hang at the uh, was a romance cover art. That's great. The gentleman, the gentleman who painted those, I can sorry, I can't believe the can't remember his name, but he had done I don't know how many covers, and he did them in oil. He you know he painted them in oil paint. They're beautiful, and they're huge. And uh, he donated. He, the show was kind of traveling around, and I got to hang it. At you, and so yeah, and uh, at least my memory serves. There at least were four Fabios, mm-hmm. and I. It was just whoa. They're just great. They were so fantastic. Yeah. It was so much fun. I, so, I yeah. just love, 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 love the old school romance covers like they're so beautiful like and like you said like it's real art like yeah they're like oil paintings yes i mean these were giant oil paintings yeah of you know fabio's head was like i don't know like huge you know he was like a big and and this blonde beautiful flowing (laughs) hair i'm like oh my gosh that's fabio that's awesome (laughs) so yeah so that's fun so so yeah um i i think that it's really important to take context into consideration when you're going through and you're reading these romance novels. And I will say modern romance novels, the things that are getting published now, very much people are, the the genre has changed and it is not that anymore. So if you're reading a romance novel from this year, last year, like the past five to eight, 10, I would say they're, they're so, so cognizant of, of things like that now. And I think a lot of publishing is at this point. Well, yeah. Yeah. Like you think about newer romances, that are written now that are in a modern sort of mm-hmm. modern take, you know. Oh they're, yeah, they're texting. They're they're using uh, slang and words that we you know we hear all the time. Are that do you do you enjoy those? Or are you more someone who likes to read more of a historical? I'll read a contemporary romance. I loved um, the Kiss Quotient by oh, Helen okay. Wang. I read um, one of my favorite romance novels. I read all last year was called The Roommate by Rosie Dannon. Um, It is her first book, and it was delightful. It is about a young woman who moves across the country to follow her childhood crush. She thinks that she is going to be moving in and uh, and sharing an apartment with her childhood crush. He is going to rent her out the room. And as he is driving her to the apartment, when he picks her up from the airport, he tells her that he is going on tour with his band, and he has sublet his room to a stranger. (laughs) And the stranger turns out to be 
a very beautiful porn star. <laughs> um, and he is like, he's like, I think that, I, I feel like maybe it was, it has to have been based on something, but he's, he's just like a very like famous, like woman focused male porn star. Who's like very into like making like porn that women enjoy. Okay. Um, and she's just like this, like little cringing socialite who can is like very sheltered and has like, just like uprooted what? her life to follow her childhood crush. And it is so good. Oh. Oh my gosh. It's so cute. Loved that book. Um, so yeah, I, I like a good contemporary romance. Um, that one, that one's really fun. Uh, and yeah, like I said, the kiss quotient was really delightful. That was from a few years ago. Um, and what else have I read? Uh, the Bromance Book Club is another really great I, one. Some of these titles I recall you know, <clears throat> yeah. from like just seeing them come across. It, there, it's, it's a good time for, uh, adult romance right now. Oh my gosh. How could I forget? Be Treed by Emily Henry. Oh, I don't know that one. Oh my goodness. It was so good. Loved that mm. one. That was another of my favorites from last year. It's about, um, two authors who knew each other and they were like college uh, creative writing class rivals. Oh, okay. Um, and one of the the woman who writes like moder- like women like chiclet, right? Um, she has inherited a house in this little beach town because her father has just passed away. And when her father passed away, she and her she discovered that he had been having an affair. Oh, no. Um, and so she moves into this house to, like, get it ready to sell because her dad passed away and he left her this house. And living in the house next door to it is her college writing rival, who is now, like, a very serious, like, literary fiction author. <laughs> and and they have to live next door to each other in this beach town. Oh. Extremely good. Really fun. He's, like, they're doing research on a cult that was <laughs> in, like, a nearby town. And then they decide to each try and write a book in the other genre. And they have, like, a bet. Oh, how cute. Really, really good. I love that. Yeah. Um, and she apparently writes YA novels, too, which I have not read her YA novels, but I bet they're delightful. No. Um, I yeah. have to try that. Beach Read is fun. Really, really good. I like fun. I mean, I like fun. I, you know, I'm more of a mystery person. Mm-hmm. I will occasionally pick up something that might have a romance. I feel like the not- murder cult in, in Beach Club or in Beach Read would really kind of like that's call kind out of, to that's you. That's what probably grabs my attention, <laughs> which is... So I don't know what that says about me, but it, I'm like, oh, is there a murder cult? It was a really good subplot. I enjoyed that part of the book. Um, like they have, they have to like go around and like do research with each other. So she takes them on all these like fun, like meet cute date ideas. And he right. takes her to go like interview people who like are relatives of people who were in this death cult together. That's funny. It's a good book. Really, really enjoyed Beatrice. She has a new one coming out soon. That I'm super excited to read too. It's funny because when I read <clears throat> mysteries, if they're... The cozy mysteries. There's mm-hmm. always a romance involved sure. in those, right? And so that's fine. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I'll read and I think, okay, move on. Yeah. We know you like this guy. So let's just get you that. Honestly, that's why Get I'm to a, solving the crime part. That is why I am a romance reader, I think. Because <laughs> if I read a book like that where the romance romance is like the subplot, I'm just like, more of that. That I'm more like, of that. And I'm the other the way. Romance. Yeah, I'm exactly. I'm like, get to the crime. So... <laughs> Another thing I really wanted to talk about in regards to romance novels are tropes. Oh, yeah. Tropes are very, very important to the romance novel. Uh, yes, they are. Um, I would say yes. <laughs> so, so common things and tropes that you see in specifically Regency romance novels are references to the ton. 
I'm sure you've heard that many times in for <laughs> yes. Japan. Um, it is short for le bon ton. Hopefully oh. I'm pronouncing that right. It's French for, um, it basically means like good manners or like shortening it to ton means like manners or style basically. Oh, gotcha. So okay. these are like the stylish people, the well-mannered people. Gotta have those people. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, you're going to see a lot of depictions of common activities during the social season, such as carriage rides, morning calls, lots of those in Bridgerton, dinner parties, plays, operas, balls, etc. Oh my gosh, um, all the balls yeah, and the dances yeah. or whatever. Yeah, I guess that's just the ball, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then there's going to be a lot of depictions of athletic activities. That was one of my favorite scenes in Bridgerton was whenever it was Daphne playing the piano over the Duke <laughs> trying to shoot. Yes. Um, really funny scene. But yeah, you're going to see a lot of men engaging in riding, driving, boxing, fencing, shooting, all that good stuff. Lots of pugilism in those movies. Right. Like, a lot of boxing in Bridgerton. A lot of boxing and Regency romance in general. Which I think is funny because it's all about like how manly are you, right? Yeah. You've got to show you, you know, you got to take your stand and you have to like, which I think is interesting, just the dichon that just a breakdown of like women and men's activities. Yes. Very, very but different. But do you also have such a class system going mm-hmm. on and this idea that I think what really grabs my attention about the the, the first book is like the calls, the morning calls mm-hmm. and those things that are going on. But also the fact that when that family, when the family first comes, they're at the ball or at the dance mm-hmm. and they're all trying to avoid that one person. Yeah. And, you know, they're just like, oh gosh, we can't, we don't want, but then they also know like they have to like be, they can't be seen as like not too social. Right. Because you don't want that being written down. Like somebody saying like, well, you know, they're just rude. It was, it's, yeah. You know, it's, and so. It's a you, very fine line. It that is. It's to walk. like silk threads of just like, you can't, knowing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. That's mm-hmm. correct, I guess. Yeah. Which and, I thought was really fascinating about the story. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another thing that's frequently examined in specifically historical romance novels um, is, is differences in social class. Right. Um, so you'll you'll notice that the title of Virgin is The Duke and I, Duke's Cell. Um, that is, for, <laughs> right? like, du- dukes are a very common trope in Regency romance. It's, like, the highest title next to Prince. Right. Yeah, you, you want to read about a girl getting a duke, because that's exciting. Cause, right. Yeah, you're you're set. Like, that's, right. that's the ultimate goal you're not to looking, a duke. I mean, the earl's okay, but you really don't, you're not going to hook, you want to get the duke, not the earl. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> the, the duke is the prize. Um, I, I read an article once. I wish I could remember where I had read this, but it was it was, like, analyzing the numbers it was just like if the amount of dukes actually existed <laughs> that were portrayed in historical romance novels it was just like it would be like every man in england like it's not possible there's not that many there are not that many dukes um i love that but yeah it's, it's hey england every male is a duke yeah they're all dukes <laughs> everyone gets to be everyone so so yeah there's lots of that marriage of convenience which you you mm-hmm. see in bridgerton there's false engagements to kind of like drum up interest in in characters that's kind of kind of what Daphne and Simon get up to right um, mistaken identity deliberate or otherwise mystery or farce elements there's mm-hmm. a lot of those included in in these and then I also included two of my absolute number one favorite tropes when reading historical romance there's only one bed slash room at the inn delightful <laughs> trope love it and uh, enemies to lovers is also a really good one yes. which Daphne and Simon kind of go back and forth on that several times throughout Bridgerton that's also very common right. um, there's a lot of turns in romance novels where 
they, they feel like, oh, we can get together and then something drives them apart and then they have to come back together again and then right. something drives them apart again and it's it's a lot of back and forth. Which I think is so funny, this idea of them not receiving the, like, the message mm-hmm. or, you know, they misinterpreted because somebody lies to them and says, oh, well, he said he really didn't like you. Right. Right, <laughs> and that he's over here pining for this person. There's a lot of miscommunications. And you're like... Oh, you yeah. know, <laughs> yes. you and you just have to have persevere if miscommunications aren't your thing. I typically don't like that a ton whenever it's like, just don't do it all the time. Yes. You can do it at least once it can be, in a story. It can be handled in, in a good way, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, those are some of my favorite tropes. Um, some good resources for Regency romance or just romance in general. If you are interested, there's a great podcast called Fated Mates. Oh, I have um, it that. Is, it is co-hosted by author Sarah McLean, who writes amazing historical romances. I recognize the name. Yes. And the critic, Jen Prokop. Um, they talk mm-hmm. romance. They talk tropes. They they give lots and lots of book recommendations. You can kind of scroll through the series, the podcast, and they, they title each podcast episode on, like, what specific trope or book or author or whatever it is that cool. they are discussing. Um, so that is a really, it's a very fun podcast, and it's really good to listen to if you're interested in learning more about romance. I like it. I might I'll have um, to try this out. Yeah, and Sarah McLean, um, she's she's great. She actually, I was looking, I was like, I don't think that Sarah McLean technically writes Regencies. And no, it looks like, I may have missed some, but I think that pretty much all of her books are set Firmly in the Victorian era. Okay. Um, but they're delightful. Her most recent series is called The Bare Knuckle Bastards. And it is about uh, three brothers and a sister who live in Covent Garden. Um, they, they box. <laughs> sure, you could tell from the title of yes. the series, Bare Knuckle Bastards. Her, her fav- my favorite series of hers that she wrote is called The Rules of Scoundrels. And it is about four titled individuals who have, for one reason or another, fallen from grace and they have opened a gaming hell together. (laughs) I should have Googled this. I have no idea why they were called gaming hells. It's a casino. I don't know why they call them hells, but that's the term of the time. That's interesting. I have to figure out that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why they called that. But that's a really, really... Maybe because it's like a din. I like, guess. You know, like yeah. maybe it's like, like a din of iniquity. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. that, maybe. That's my guess. Again, I should have Googled it, but I, that's the one of the one things I didn't research before that's I came. That's your homework, well, everyone. Well, like <laughs> it's like how the term rake, the actual term is rake hell. I don't know right. why. I don't right. know why it's called a rake hell. I don't know. Probably thanks, England. <laughs> that's all. Yeah. <laughs> as far as other really famous examples of historical romance... If you've ever heard anyone talk about historical romance at all, you've probably heard them mention Lisa Claypas. Yes. Um, her Wallflower series, I would say, is probably her most famous. And people people love the Wallflower series. It's it's really good. A few that I have read recently that I really enjoyed, The Duke Who Didn't by Courtney Milan. Hmm. Again, hey. technically not Regency. It is technically Victorian. But it is set in a multicultural village called Wedgeford in Hmm. england and both leads are chinese which i thought was awesome it's so delightful really really cute yeah um it's it's gonna it's the first in a series the the first one the duke who didn't just came out so she's gonna have more set in the same village i believe um because the series is called the wedgeford trials so and it's about this little village that has like an annual or i think it's annual it's an annual tradition where they do like a big game of like hide and seek basically with like (laughs) It like capture the flag essentially. Right. right. Um, it's it was super cute. Love that. Love that it was multicultural. Um as far as best known Regency authors, Julia Quinn, yes. Bridgerton, 
Lisa Clayposs does have some Regency series. Um, the Gamblers of Craven, I would say, is probably one of her more famous ones. Um, Elizabeth Hoyt, who wrote the Maiden Lane series. It's a huge series. So many books in that one. Courtney Milan does write some series set in Regency. My all-time favorite, number one Regency romance author, Tessa Dare. I love her. I've mentioned her on this podcast many times in the past. Um, <laughs> she has a series called Spindle Cove, which is set at a seaside village for, like, ladies of delicate health who go there to, like, recuperate course, right? and, like, take the waters. And while they are there, the daughter of the owner of the village, like, teaches them how to shoot guns and, like, think for themselves. And it's really cool Oh, and I fun. love that. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> The second book in the series is called A Week to be Wicked. It is one of my all-time favorite romance reads, and it is about a young woman from Spindle Cove who discovers a fossil and is, like, trying... And has been communicating with the Edinburgh... The Edinburgh, like, Fossil Society or whatever. I don't remember what it's called. But she, like, goes on a road trip, basically, with a guy from Spindle Cove to try and, like, get her fossil to this, like... <laughs> to this, like, meeting that they're having so that she can show her findings to the scientific community. Very fun road trip novel. Um, oh. uh, Tessa Dare does great historical Regency rom-coms, basically. I love that idea. Yeah. Super cute, super fun. And then there's also a couple of, re I mean, there's lots of great LGBTQ plus authors writing in Regency at the time. Kat Sebastian is a very famous one. She has a series called Seducing the Sedgwicks, which is really good. And then another one is Olivia Waite, and she has a series called Feminine Pursuits. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and so those are gay and lesbian romance novels set in the Regency period. And they're just delightful. There's a lot of really cool That's stuff so happening right now. Yeah. I love that, that there's this period and they're just able to like put people in these areas that you wouldn't think, you know, yeah. I, lo I love that. It's yeah. Great. Because people, I mean, like these things, everyone happen. needs romance. Yeah. It might not have been, it might not have been written about widely at the time, but these people existed. And exactly. yeah, there were Chinese people. There were gay and lesbian yes. people. In There's all England. kinds of other people. It all happened. So yeah, I think it's, it's awesome. And these are great books. They're so much fun to read. So the books that, that you discussed, mm -hmm. the different series, does the library have a lot of these? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes, want to make sure. Absolutely. If we don't have it in print, we for sure will have it in ebook. Sometimes okay. it's a lot easier for us to have romance novels in ebook instead of print because romance novels, I'm sure you know, as a person who shelves books regularly, yes. they look not great pretty quickly. Yeah. Because they, they tend to really not bad. have nicer binding. They're smaller, but they're really thick. So the spines don't look great. Yeah. They, they tend to age a little bit faster than other books. That's true. So, so yeah, if we do not have it in print, we will probably have it in ebook. And as with every item, if you don't see a book that you want to read that we don't have in the system, get on our website, give us a call. We will put in a request. And if we, at all possible, we will purchase it for the collection. Yes. We are, um, we're pretty good at doing that. Yes. If you want to know how to do it yourself, we will happily show you. Yeah. It's it's just a form on the website. You fill it out with what book. And if we can get it, we will. Yes. Period. <laughs> yes. They do, and, they, and they really do try. Yeah. Sometimes it's not possible just because our vendor might not have it. It might be out of print, et cetera. But, yeah. but generally speaking, we can and will order something. Yes. So keep, so. yeah, keep that in mind. And yeah, it's it's hard with romance novels too because so many of them are very long series. <laughs> so it's hard to keep yeah, all of the books you, I guess, on the shelf. I, I guess because I read so many mysteries. Yeah, that's a problem with um, mysteries too. The mysteries is the same same thing. You mm -hmm. know, you like you want to start something, or you, especially what I mean when I was going back to like the covers, mm -hmm. they'll re they'll reprint these mm -hmm. things, and then we might you know order new copies because our copy is old or we got rid of it. 
And then you see it and then you maybe go, oh, this looks really good. And then you realize it's like book five. Yes. Of like a series that's like 80 books or something. I will say that I think <laughs> that romance novels and cozy mysteries in particular are excellent at letting you read a book out of order. Yes. Um, and that is very true. For, I yeah. was going to say, with the cozy, yeah. for sure. They will catch you up in those first chapters and you can just proceed and yes. live your life and just read it out of order. And, so, and romance novels are generally pretty much the same. Yeah. Um, so that's great that they give you like that preview, like... Yeah. Previously on my you know. first, the first Tessa Dare book that I ever read was fifth in the Spindle Cove series, and I think third in uh, I can't remember the other series, something about castles. But yeah, it's a crossover book, and it's fifth in one series and like third in another, and that's where I started. And you're like, and I, got and I was it. like, this rules. <laughs> and then I went back and I read the other ones. But yeah, no, it was fine to read standalone. Like, yeah, there are other characters who show up whose stories have already happened. Um, so I guess in in a sense you get some spoilers if you don't want to read right. Gregory, but it's just like yeah, eh, it's a romance. Who cares? It's fun. <laughs> but if you enjoy it, then you then now you know, and then you can like okay, I'll wait. Yeah, until the the next one comes out. So exactly. yeah, so yeah, keep that in mind if you start a series. It doesn't really have to be at the beginning. Yeah, especially with romances and cozy mysteries. Before we move on to what we've been reading, I want to also plug a few resources online. In addition to the Faded Mates podcast, I would also recommend for just romance book reviews, um, Smart Bitches Trashy Books is an excellent <laughs> website for that. All About Romance and then Eye on Romance okay. are all good for just like new books coming out, reviews, what we're reading, stuff, articles, things like that. Th- those are the places that I kind of try and keep my eye on for new new See what's coming, coming out. Yes, exactly. That's very good. Well, yeah. thank you for sharing your Regency knowledge with us. <laughs> for because, what it is. <laughs> no, I just, it's so funny because after, like I said, after, you know, when I messaged you, I thought, you know, she needs to talk about Regency because I don't know a lot about it. I don't read a lot of romances. I really enjoyed The Duke and I, yeah. and I really enjoyed the show. And I thought, maybe I'll read some more. Yeah. And which, you know, that's saying a lot for me because I... <laughs> And since we did talk I'm about so firmly stuck in mystery land. Since we did talk about contemporary, I do think that you should give Beatry to try because I really do think that you okay, would I think I, yeah. I think I will I will check that out. That would be a fun one for you. Because okay. it's it's uh, the small little beach town full of like cute little quirky characters and the death cult and yeah. And I, <laughs> and I love anything. I It's so weird. Like my, I, I read a lot of cozies and I catch myself and I don't really, don't, also I don't think I'm always like conscious of the fact that the, a lot of the books I read are set in like the same type of place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, Cabot Cove. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm so, I'm very a beach person. Mm-hmm. So if it's in Maine or Connecticut or it's in, you know, on the coast of Sag Harbor, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm like, I'm there. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know what it is. There's I love the old Connecticut woods and then the beaches around the corner. There you go. I'm there, Rocky Coast. Yes. Beach read is for There's going to be a body there and we're going to have a mystery to solve. <laughs> That's my thing. <laughs> I mean, hey, you you gotta know what you like to read. I everybody has like their catnip. That's what Becca, uh, our former assistant manager, oh, used to yeah. call it. Is, is your reading catnip? And for her, it was boarding schools. If a book had a boarding school, she was like, "I'm in." Yes, a boarding school book. I will read it. You I don't know, care what I it love boarding. I love boarding yeah. school books too. Yeah, and it's, just, I, it's like tropes that you like. I I love it, and yeah. I you know it's I'm, fine. One of my favorite movies is Godsford Park. Mm. I, I love stories that are like that where there's the downstairs and the upstairs, mm-hmm. 
And uh, so, yeah, there's just certain things to that appeal to you. And you're just like, yes, I will read that. Yeah. That and so, yeah, I like. had a coworker. She doesn't work here anymore. She and I both were mystery people and boarding school people. Mm-hmm. And so we would always be on the quest looking for <laughs> things that were set in a boarding school. And that there was like a mystery to it. That was like a hundred point score, you know? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> but- yeah. And I have like some really specific ones too, because I read Uprooted. Oh, yeah. Um, uh-huh. And I also love Howl's Moving Castle by Diana oh, Wynne Jones. And I'm yeah. just like, I need more like really good like, wizard fantasy. takes an apprentice. Like, how do I find that? It's like, there's not enough um, of it, but I love it. Yeah. And that, I was going to say, that, that movie has a great feel. That story has great. Mm. Yeah, Diane Wynne Jones is just like she, her stuff is delightful. And really the Miyazaki good. adaption of it is also very great. good. Yeah. Yes, I I love those books too. Yes. Very good. I, re- I remember reading some of those when I was I guess I was in school. Actually, I'm currently reading <gasps> Kiki's Delivery Kiki's Service. Kiki's Delivery Service. Yeah, it came across my desk whenever I was checking in some books and I was just like, "Oh, the book the book of Kiki's is like this brand new shiny copy with like a new uh, introduction." And I was like, "I'm going to reread Kiki's Delivery Service." So. I that is my that is one of my all-time favorite movies. That it's and delightful. I love um, Your Neighbor Totoro. My my son right now is on a Miyazaki kick. Mm. Um, he loves My Neighbor Totoro and Ponyo. We just watched Ponyo, Ponyo for the first yes. time. And now he runs around the house. So there's there's a part when Ponyo says that her mom is really big and beautiful and scary. <laughs> and he, he runs around the house and I'll say, I'm Ponyo. And he calls my husband Wizard Dad and I'm Scary Mom. <laughs> And it's, I'm so proud. <laughs> You're like, you too be proud, son. I'm just like, I'm so glad that I'm a scary mom. <laughs> I love it. Um, so yeah, we're, we're a big Miyazaki household right now. <laughs> oh, I will. You, that, that you couldn't go wrong on that. No, I can't argue with that. We, lo- we love <laughs> a Miyazaki fantastic. movie, so we're very happy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I love all those movies. Yeah. But that was one of my, Kiki's probably one of my all-time favorites. Yeah. The book is wonderful. I don't know if you've read the book. I have um, not. But I, yeah. It's, I'm going to have to now. I'll put it on hold as soon as we're finished. Yeah, it's delightful. I love it. Love it. So what have you been reading? Well, let's see. So I unexpectedly started reading a lot of things. And of course, we didn't podcast. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we missed a couple months. We missed, so we got a lot to catch up on. I went through this. I don't know. I think it all started with poetry. Mm-hmm. I just, I happened to read or notice and this person is kind of hit or miss, or you can like them or you can dislike them, whatever your take is. But Ruby Core, mm-hmm. she wrote a couple of different books of poetry that came really popular, Milk and Honey. Yes. But she has a new book called Homebody. And it's a it has the same sort of feel as her other two books. But I was glad to see that she had a new book out. I personally don't gang up on her and I don't think that her poetry is Absolutely horrible. I, you know, I, I just enjoy some of the sentiment that comes from what she's trying to express. She deals with loss and trauma and healing and migration and uh, being a female. And, uh, you know, if you, in the very quick read her poetry, she illustrates it. And I, I just think it's a nice little book. You can just pick it up, read a couple of little poems and mm-hmm. move on. So that kind of what caught me on the cake of poetry. And so I, I read her book, and then I started a series of uh, another book of poetry by Amanda Lovelace. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. So she has a series called Women Are Some Kind of Magic. Okay. And every book of poetry is a 
is about magic. It's about, it's like a fairy tale. And it's about women empowerment, really. Mm-hmm. So this particular book that just came out is called Break Your Glass Slippers. And so all the books are about her sort of moving forward, taking the female trope idea of the fairy tale, but it's reversed. Okay. In that I don't need a prince to save me. You don't need the glass slippers. And so there's been several of these books, and each of them have a catchy title like that. And they're just, it's just a fun, it's, it tells you a story, but it's all in poetry form. And it's just really lovely. It's and just so nice to read a poem. Yeah. It's just, and uh, so the first, about it. Her, one of her first books were called uh, The Princess Saves Herself in This One. Hmm. Okay. So I just found them fascinating yeah. and fun. And I saw that she too had a new book of poetry. So I was like, you know what? It must be meant for me to read some poetry. <laughs> so then that led me on the other path. And I don't know if you've heard of this book called Is The Crying the- Book. No, I haven't. This I'm book, like adding stuff to my Goodreads as you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> so this book is, this woman, her name is Heather Crystal. Mm-hmm. She is also a poet, but after uh, she had a friend die of suicide and had a really hard time dealing with the fact that the, her friend had had died, but she's also pregnant with her first child mm. and was dealing with a lot of that, a lot of hormones, a lot of emotion, then giving birth to the baby and then finding herself dealing with postpartum depression and not really able to really kind of filter and understand why her friend had killed themselves. Mm. And so uh, she started researching crying and understanding tears and crying and found that there really wasn't a lot. And so she sits on this quest to understand crying. Okay. And it's about herself. It's a it's so it's a little bit of a memoir, but it's also about just crying in culture. You know, boys don't cry. You know, you're you're seen. Uh, women are seen as weak if you cry. You know, things like that. And so it's like the history of crying. That sounds fascinating. And I just really couldn't put it down. It's very moving and touching in places. It's kind of thought provoking. It makes you sort of think about just yourself a little bit yeah, and about what makes you cry, how crying is therapeutic. Sometimes you, you know, it's like you say, well, you'll have a good cry. You'll feel better. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, sometimes you do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. sometimes you can't stop crying. Right. And part of it also was how you look when you cry. You know, when you have the really ugly cry <laughs> and you look terrible, just, you just look bad. Mm-hmm. And it's like embracing that idea too of appearance and how it affects, how you change when you cry. Mm-hmm. So I just found it fascinating. I couldn't, I just think if you have any interest in some kind of quirky sort of thing, this book is it. Okay. It's really great. I, I highly suggest it. Great. The other book I read, which I kind of got triggered on this by listening to a podcast. And they just happened to mention if you listen to any true crime or old stories of crimes that have not been solved or solved were the Pinkerton detective agency mm. that started and there were they, they actually were high they started off just being a private they were private security and then eventually they ended up working with president lincoln uh before he was elected he was like i think he was newly elected and president lincoln had death threats all the time and something almost he was n- nearly 
killed. Mm-hmm. And so he, he realized he, he needed some kind of security. Right. But he really, he didn't want it, but he kind of knew like he had to go on this tour. So he needed to have somebody. So anyway, the Pinkertons come involved and one of the people they end up protect is part of this protection is a woman. And she is the first female detective. And she was hired by Alan Pinkerton, who started the Pinkerton Detectives Agency. And she will go on to be and train all other female detectives that work with the Pinkerton Detective Agency. And That's because, cool. And so this is called The Pinks. It's by Chris Ennis, E-N-S-S. But it's the true story of the of the Pinkerton Detective Agency and all the women detectives that worked through Pinkerton. It's really well researched. I learned so much about it. I knew a lot of I knew some about the Pinkerton Detective Agency and some of the big cases that they solved. And they will later become the Secret Service. But it's just it's about the women who really sort of became the spies, the trusty people that get into the to the group. They're the ones to get to be friends with the girlfriend of the guy. Who's nobody the expects the women to be a spy. No, so. right? So nobody's looking <laughs> at that way. Cover. And what is great about the very first character, Kate Warren, is that there was an advertisement in the paper. And it was like looking for detectives. So she walks in. And they're like, we don't hire women. You can. I don't have any you know, secretarial work for you. And she's like, no, I'm here for the detective. It does not say that a female can't apply. And he was like, well, you're right. And so he basically interviews her and realizes that she's onto something when she says, well, do you use any, how do you go in and like infiltrate something and, you know, find out information? Well, you know, we do this and this. Well, what about the the guy's mom? What about his girlfriend? What about his sister? Don't you think they have information? Don't you think they would have told somebody? And he's like, oh, yeah, okay, you you might be onto something. And so he hires her and basically comes out to the other dudes and says, she's going to be working here, so you better treat her all right. Yeah, deal you with it. Deal with it. <laughs> and at first they're not really sure, but she ends up proving herself. And that changes the dynamic of the office. And she goes on to be a big ethical part of what happens to helping Abraham Lincoln and this early part of his becoming the president. How cool. So it's a great read. Yeah. I highly suggest suggest it. It's fun. I love anything about Lincoln, honestly. I do too. I, I'm, I'm a sucker for Lincoln. Did you ever read Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders? Yes. Oh my God. What a book. That movie is heart-wrenching at points. Did they make a movie out of it? I don't know. It's just oh. the book. Oh, know, okay. Like, gotcha. Yeah. That he's, this, just the characters are dead. And, oh my gosh. Oh my god! Phenomenal. What a writer. So good. So yeah. good. So yeah, so that's what I've been reading. Nice. I love it. I love that we have such a women-centric time apart where we... <laughs> I know, and I, like, I, I guess where I was going with this March Women's History Month, it, it and I had no point. intentions of it, like, a, oh, I'm just going to read books about women, or... Yeah. Uh, no. It's uh, just... just Happy, a happy happenstance. Hey, yes. Yeah, it just worked out. It did. So. Yeah, so I, th- I think we did, we gave a lot of good suggestions today. I we think. got a lot. Yeah, we'll do a wrap up and hopefully get a list up whenever the podcast goes up. Yes. Um, as always, you can find Jennifer here at the Northside Branch. Yes. And I am over at Eastside. We are open now to limited customers. So yes. So you can 
throw on a mask and come in. We can have 20 people at a time in the branches. So if you yep. want to come in and see us and get some in-person recommendations, sure, we're yes. happy to do that. We are here. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. And hopefully we won't have uh, an unplanned hiatus again. And we will <laughs> Let's we'll hope be back anyway. next month yeah. um, with some more new recommendations for you guys. So if you're if you have a question or suggestion, so so yeah, if you go to our podcast page, then there should be a link to it. It's just lexpublib.org backslash podcasts is where you should find our podcast page. Give us a link. Yeah, come in and see to us. Hear for you. Yeah, we would love to hear <laughs> from you in person or online, either way. Yes. And hopefully we will talk again soon. Yes. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Bye.